Y'all should just get up and leave. This is what our railroad tracks got closed for. We've been having these problems ever since. And they ain't doing nothing about it. The city's been trying. We got outsiders trying. We got the church out here trying to help y'all. And all y'all do is take the money and keep getting drunk. That's up. right, that's right. Because and I, we're wrong for being out here. No, we're not wrong. We're tired. And we want our neighborhood back. From KYW News Radio in Philadelphia, this is Scroll Down. I'm Tom Rickert. Today on the podcast, Eviction Day for the people in the tunnels. The encampment pilot launched on April 30th. Because the tracks above them form a kind of roof over their head, there's an illusion that they're living inside almost. We created a by name list of 110 people who we could verify as being homeless in the tunnels. They prefer the tunnels to the city shelter system. Some of the, the shelters in Philadelphia are just so run down and horrible. Like. I think the common thread going through the encampment is the drug use. There's an opioid epidemic, you know, it's everywhere you go. This is rock bottom for me. Obviously, if you use drugs, you're never going to be able to catch up. Some of us do have addictions. Heroin. I was introduced to alcohol um, at a very young some age. Some of us do use heroin, some of us use crack, some of us use use alcohol. Just things went really downhill for me. If you want to help yourself, you'll get the help. There's plenty of help out here. They're looking at us like we're not human. They believe that they are a community and they want to stay together. We rejected doing a sweep as some cities have done. Instead, we created an approach that combines providing intensive daily outreach to those camping in two tunnels with a deadline for closing the camps. This is the second part of an episode we put out in April. After more than 100 people started living under several railroad tunnels in Kensington, the neighbors wanted them gone. So Philadelphia set up a pilot program and a timeline. That story is episode 29 of Scroll Down. It's called The People in the Tunnels. Today's episode What happens when the city says it's time to get out? We're here. Come on, man. Pat Loeb is back on Scroll Down. Hey, Pat. Hey, Tom. You went back to the tunnels in Kensington in the end of May. The deadline the city set for the people living there to accept help or find somewhere else to live. How'd that day go? I had talked to people who were living in the tunnels on Kensington and Tulip, and the city was very anxious for me to talk to people who'd abandoned the tunnels and come in for respite shelter. All day Tuesday, we were trying to line up interviews with people in that category, of which there, according to the city, there are over 100 So I got up very early on Wednesday planning to go to the respite shelter first. And I got an email saying no one would talk to me. Of over 100 people, no one wanted to talk about their decision to come in off the street. So instead, I was up early, so I went straight to Kensington Avenue. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. KYW. And we're not talking to reporters. Come on. Well, I'm do- I'll just, I just really came to talk to the people that live here, but I'll just I'll lay you down. The eviction had not started yet. It was going on on Tulip at that point, and Kensington Avenue 
the people, the stragglers, people who hadn't been persuaded to leave yet were, were all still there doing their thing. Um, a couple of them were taking drugs. did my usual approaching people asking if they would talk to me. I, I found one. Yes, my name is Rosa Wagoner. And how long were you here? Um, I've been here for two years off and on. Actually, no, uh, four years off and on, but not underneath the bridge for four years. She gave me her name. She told me a lot about her background. I was born in Houston, Texas, but I was raised in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So the city said that it offered, you know, respite or treatment and Yes, ma'am. But you stayed here? Yes, I stayed here. She told me she was staying because she felt with how bad that my addiction is, I need to hit rock bottom, you know, and, and never forget where I came from before she could go in. In order to get myself together and, and stay clean is what I believe. Because I've tried almost everything, you know, to stay clean. It's just, it's really hard. And when she described her life, I'm just, you know, Going wherever my feet takes me, wherever the Lord takes me. As long as I keep him first, I know I'll be fine. I said, it sounds like rock bottom to me. W would that qualify as rock bottom, do you think? Um, I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. This is rock bottom for me. I've never lived, you know, I've never been homeless like this. I've never, you know, I've sold my body. I've, you know, I've done a lot of things that I'm not proud about. So why not take the city's treatment offer? That's what I plan on doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So when the outreach workers come today, uh, I think I'll ask them to go in. Um, the outreach workers arrived just minutes later and approached her, and I saw her put all of her things in a tote bag and walk away. She did not go in. There were a couple of other people who did go in, I guess deadline-driven. As a journalist, I can understand that. Uh, they, they did accept offers, but m uh, most of the people who were still there simply walked away. Ellen I was the first to arrive after the outreach workers, and they had bins and plastic bags and they offered people who were still there the chance to put their stuff into storage at Prevention Point, which is where the respite beds are. And you have access to it, right? For, For 30, 30 days. days. You can wash all your clothes. You can, you know, do whatever it is you have to do. You have, they have services there. They could, uh, they could put it in these nice plastic bins. And they're going to a bin and, and, and a few trash, trash bags, bags if they prefer. And we'll just sit here and we'll just see what you Label it with their know. name. I have to look at but what I, you're putting in the bag. Like, I literally just got rid of a whole bunch of crap. Like, this is all trash. Okay. They could launder their clothes. You'll have access from 9 to, nine to uh, what is it, 90, between hours of 7 a.m. and 10 p.m., right? Yeah. They have uh, laundry service there. You can wash your clothes. You go there real quick, wash clothes. Stuff like that. Prevention point. No one took them up on it. Uh, they told me that some, some of the people on Tulip had, but nobody on Kensington Avenue was interested in that among those who were still left. Most of them just abandoned their things. They took very little with them. Some people packed up their tents and took the tents with them. 
but it was a pretty orderly process um, after Al and I came and, and urged people to put their things in storage, the police arrived. Prior to storing your personal property, you should remove all valuables, such as cash. Just two officers at first. And any objects you deem immediately, such as glasses. Then four. It gradually grew. But it was, um, their interactions with the campers were very low-key. Right? I've always been fair with you guys. Be fair with me. Right? All right, come on then. Some of the campers were really reluctant to leave, but they did without any confrontation. We're here. Come on, man. All right, it's cool. The only confrontations were between the protesters who'd been protesting the eviction and the neighbors who came to watch the move out because they have been so frustrated by the presence of the campers that they wanted to watch them leave. And they got into a heated discussion with the protesters uh, about why it was so important. We've been having these problems ever since. And they ain't doing nothing about it. The city's been trying, we got outsiders trying, we got the church out here trying to help y'all. And all y'all do is take the money and keep getting drugged up. That's right, that's right. Uh, That was about the only confrontation, actually, was between those two groups. And we want our neighborhood back! Between the campers and the city officials and the police, everything was very low-key and respectful. Just the other day, they were out here giving out food, and then you got a bum sitting over here asking for change. Why is you asking for money for food when they're giving out food for free? That says a lot. They have a shelter and they feed you them. Those fuels. The sanitation trucks came in. They got rid of everything that was left behind. And then right behind them came the street sweepers. So that this process that started around uh, 9 or 10 was over by noon. Can I ask about the protesters? Sure. What kind of problem did they have with the way the city was handling the evictions? Well, I think that they weren't very well informed about what the city had done, because the city had done this very carefully, and they have they had provided respite beds for everybody that was there. They had provided treatment on demand so that anybody that wanted to go into treatment could, could have it immediately. And protesters didn't seem to understand that. In fact, they had signs that said eviction without a plan equals death. But in fact, there was a plan. There was a carefully orchestrated plan. They, they understood that there was a plan. The campers themselves did. And protesters maybe saw it more like the kind of sweeps that have happened in other cities. The city sweeping in with no notice and taking everything away. This was a very different operation. This eviction was the final part of an experiment, kind of. Instead of rounding everyone up and kicking them out on day one, like they could have, like other cities have done, what did they do instead? Well, they formulated a plan. They went, they took surveys of everybody there. They made a by-name list of their needs. So it was a two-pronged strategy, and one was low-barrier respite shelter beds that were available to anybody, there were no conditions put on them. If you wanted to come in off the street, you could come in off the street, you could have one of these beds. Part two was on-demand treatment. The outreach workers were on site, and if they got somebody at the moment, I can't do this anymore, I want treatment, they immediately got them into treatment. 
close to 40 people entered treatment from the two tunnels, which was more in the first few weeks of the pilot program than had been in the previous six months. First, we heard there were 200 people living under the tunnels. Once they spent a solid month with outreach and gathering data, talking to everyone, did that number change? The number went up and down, and another interesting facet was that the daytime number was larger than the nighttime number. Uh, The number of people that were sleeping there, they still believe it is right around 200. It's maybe gotten a little bit larger over the six months that the encampments were there. But between Kensington Avenue and Tulip Street, the two streets in the pilot program, they figured that there were just over 100, about 125 So that would, you know, if there were an equal number in the other two tunnels, it would be about 250. So uh, encampments remain on two other streets, Emerald and Frankfurt Avenue. Before the city started this program, most of the people who lived under these tunnels said that they didn't really want help. They didn't want to get clean. Is is this consistent with what they found by the end of the program? I think that they found people reach a point, even if in general they say they're, they're not ready to get clean, you know, it didn't work for me last time, I was clean for a while, I, you know, I can't do that again, whatever reason they were given, there would be a moment when even for, for people who thought they didn't want to, there would be a moment when they felt like, I just can't go on like this. I really do need to get into treatment. They got more people at that moment during that 30-day pilot program than they did in the six months prior to it. But it, it took an almost constant presence by outreach to do that. And a lot of money, too. This program costs real dollars. Yes, um, it's $40 per night per bed. And so for 100-plus people that came in, it's, it's about half a million dollars. There is need all over the city. So to spend a half million dollars just on these two blocks was a pretty big investment by the city. We might get some interesting data at the end of this. Are there plans to follow up with everybody who is in in housing now and seeing how they're doing with staying sober? Oh yeah, because there's very little out there about what does work. And when the city was devising this pilot, it had very little information from other places in the country. And uh, so, you know, they worked with some models that had worked, and then they talked to drug counselors and and people who had been homeless and drug addicted about what would have worked for them. And so they worked this out kind of on their own, and they're hoping that it can be a model not just for future interventions in the city of Philadelphia, but that they can share it with their peers in other cities. Those encampments are not safe. It wasn't easy getting to this point. Uh, it was very difficult. There are the sites for fatal overdoses. There are the sites for violence. They'll still be out there. We're not going to stop. And my people will be out there. We're not going to stop either. What is exciting to me and to all of us who have been part of this pilot is that we have a model that is promising. More than 1,200 fatal overdoses in Philadelphia in 2017. One at a time is easier than trying to deal with other hundred of them. We know that this pilot does not address the whole problem. This crisis has not peaked yet. But it shows what works. It shows that people are coming in. Pat, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Where can people keep up with your reporting? Online, on the radio? 
and Pat Loeb on Facebook, at Pat Loeb on Twitter, and of course, KYW News Radio 1060 AM. Pat, thanks so much for the time. Oh, Tom, it's a pleasure. And that's it for this week's show. If you like Scroll Down, make sure to give us a rating and a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help more people find out about the podcast. Scroll Down is recorded and produced in the KOW studios in Philadelphia. And we have someone new to say hi to. Charlotte Reese helped produce this episode. She's a brand new producer on the podcast. And you'll get to hear some of her work soon. Till then, Charlotte, where can people follow you and see what you're up to? Great. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I'm really looking forward to it. You can keep up with me. I'm on Twitter at CReese28. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at ScrollDownPod. I'm at T-Rick, T-E-E-R-I-C-K. I'm Tom Rickert. Thank you for listening to Scroll Down. We'll do this again next time.